Hello and welcome to Around the Outside, the podcast for the Formula One fanatic with Chris Moss and Jake Peach. Thank you for stopping by and listening to the podcast. Don't forget, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a new episode. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Around the Outside Podcast on Facebook and we're at ATU Podcast underscore on Instagram. And over the next few episodes, we'll be anticipating the pre-season and previewing what might be to come this year in 2022. But in this episode now, we have seen each of the cars out on track and we're looking in depth at the different approaches to each design and the interpretation of the new regulations for 2022. So joining us this week as our guest to help break it all down for us, he joins us for a second time on Around the Outside, Ferrari designer Ryan Greenslade. Well, he's already been on our podcast once and because he was so good last time, we had to get him back for the start of the 2022 season to run through some of the car launches we've seen and all the different interpretations of different teams and how they've approached the new regulations. Ryan Greenslade, all the way from Maranello Ferrari in Italy. How are you doing? Hi. Yeah, good to good to uh, be back. Thanks for having me again. Nice introduction. I, I try my best. Um, yeah, <laughs> you, you're our first repeat guest, so you're on for the second time. Does it feel like a, a great honour that's been bestowed upon you? Do you feel the pressure? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see how this goes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was just great to get you back because... Of course, you, you, you're a designer at Maranello um, from Ferrari, but you've worked at Red Bull and Caterham in the past. Basically, on our last podcast, you were talking about your, your sort of career and how you're so sort of in-depth on the carbon fibre designing. And, and that's obviously most of the, fr- the car and most of the framework of, of all, the, of all the, um, the body works and putting it all together. So we thought it'd be good to get you on and sort of uh, break down kind of each interpretation to the design and try and get a bit of an idea of kind of the regulations and how they've been approached. And of course, we'll, we'll start with Ferrari in a moment because, of course, you're working there and have probably been behind the car for a number of months now. Um, but just firstly, how have you been since we last spoke to you uh, back in 2021? What, what, what's kind of it been like at Maranello? Has it been all, all systems go, I imagine? Yeah, yeah, the, the time's flown. I was thinking just before I came on, actually, when we did the last episode, and it, it didn't seem that long ago, but it was it was uh, like October or something last yeah. year. Yeah, it's, the yeah. time's just absolutely flown by um, since then. It's been manic, to <laughs> say the least. Um <laughs> This time, that time of year, sort of usually from October through till February or, you know, car launch and, and f- testing, every year is busy. It always, always has been. But this year in particular has been crazy in a good way, you know, yeah. um, for us designers. It's the best time of year, you know, completely start again, new, you know, with, especially with a new set of regulations as well. I've never seen anything like it in my time in sort of 12, 13 years or whatever it's been now. Mm. where it literally has been start from a blank sheet um yeah. yeah it's been you know that's added to the workload obviously and the sort of um the intrigue from a designer's point of view being able to start from scratch and you know completely rethink every every solution on the car mm. so that has been brilliant it's been intense it's been stressful at times um you know it it's difficult enough doing it in your native tongue, you know, back in a yeah. team in England, but doing it in a, in a foreign language is that extra I can added, imagine. Uh, bit of difficulty for me. Um, I would, I've been here sort of just over four years now and I, I would have thought my Italian would be fluent by now. It's not, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm working on it. Um, but yeah, you know, even just down to doing drawings and stuff in a different language, it, it takes that extra bit of effort and mm. a bit of time for me. So I feel like, um a lot of the expats it's just it's that extra bit that we need to to give so um yeah but it's been it's been intense it's been interesting though um and it's been good now to see all the launches um see every team's interpretation of the regulations Mm. um it's been good to see so much variety as well um obviously we've been looking at these internally at marinello and every team's been looking at them for quite a while and the regulations have been changing in the background as well over the last sort of 12 months um, as teams find out different interpretations and ask for clarifications and stuff. So okay. the rules haven't been set in stone. They have, there's been small tweaks here and there that have uh, meant we've had to change designs and stuff and, mm. and adapt. 
Too. Just quickly give us a basic guide of the main things that have changed for for the cars this season. Of course, there's the the main philosophy you're working around is we now gone back to this ground effect kind of system that all the cars are kind of going towards, and it's all in aid of trying to on the track make the the racing closer. So that's all what we're trying to achieve. Just give us some of the basic things that have sort of drastically changed from the previous formula. Yeah, as you say, ground effect. It's um it's something that's not really been in in formula one since the mid to late 80s i think because the last mm. time we we really saw ground effect cars um so it's a complete uh philosophy change in how the the car generates downforce and grip on the track um so for so many years now we've we've uh, relied heavily on the wings and the chassis of the car and and getting the downforce that way it, it hasn't been necessarily conducive to to close racing in the past mm. so it's something that i know the the fia and um formula one have been looking to to change for quite a while i think the teams have been uh really positive in helping to shape the new regulations as well because you know to, to have close racing that's maybe a bit more unpredictable is not in the best in the team's best interests of course not you know the teams are <laughs> if you look at them just purely as businesses mm. and they want to you know to win, earn the most money, um, pay back sponsors um, and partnerships they have. You want the most consistent, the most uh, predictable race car and and racing series. So, you know, going to the way we've gone with the new regulations is not is not necessarily what is in the best interest of the teams. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have been very proactive and positive in in helping to shape the new rules because they understand. We all understand that this is a a sport and an entertainment mm. for people to to tune in on. So if it's not exciting and, and close racing then you, you know you lose fans interest so it's you know it's the nature of the beast you've got to you know be be open enough to to try and change things to keep keep it interesting keep people watching but at the same time you're trying to also then find loopholes in in the regulations so we help shape the new regulations and then we spend most of our days trying to find uh you know ways around it, it and and yeah <laughs> But uh, yeah, the new cars, the uh, the ground effects is really interesting. It's not something I've I've um, had experience of in my time um, in Formula One. So I don't know what the percentage is now, but I think I've heard, having spoken to people in Ferrari and, and other teams, you know, that I think they band around figures like sixty to seventy percent now is of the of the, the overall downforce is mm. coming through the floor. Um, the design is is radically different um to what we've seen previously basically big openings at the front of the floor to drive airflow down and underneath through sort of mm. big tubes basically big kind of um cutouts in the in the floor and yeah the diffuser opens right out at the back and the floor basically you want to try and seal it as best as possible mm. and obviously we've seen in in pre-season testing a lot of the cars porpoising up and down yes. on the straights which is a that's obviously a strange phenomenon, but it's essentially it's uh, it's because the floors are working so effectively that the car is sucked down to the ground. It gets to a certain point where it gets essentially too close to the ground, and then too you much lose, air. Mm. You lose that downforce almost mm. like a switch. Yeah, and then it launches back up, and then obviously when it gets back up to a sensible ride height, you you get the downforce again. So you get this yeah, it's bouncing. And the Ferrari have been susceptible to that. But were you expecting that to happen when? Because I've I've read quite a bit. And sort of in the last week or so, that a lot of teams weren't expecting that when they were running simulations. Yeah, I think the simulation tools we have are so powerful now, but they're obviously nothing beats running the car on track. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you can simulate everything and you can run it in the wind tunnel, but there's certain aerodynamic phenomenons that I guess don't necessarily translate into the simulation or into the wind tunnel. Mm. So I think it wasn't 100% of a surprise. But it wasn't something that showed up in a lot of the teams. A lot of the teams have come out and said, you know, it wasn't something that showed up in our analysis and in our um, in our wind tunnels and everything. But you know, th- there was history from from years gone um, where this phenomenon has has been seen before, um, and so it's essentially a bit of a race now for for who can mm. fix it quickest. It was very nice of Formula One to to. Um, share on on social media a uh, a lovely video of shells going down the street <laughs> i wish they'd done it with some other cars it made it look like we were the, we were the worst and it was yeah it was it was only us happening to but the feedback from the track is that almost every car is is it's happening to mm. um i think the mclaren seems to have have got a handle on it or 
it's not happening to them as much as as everyone else so naturally everyone will probably start to look at their floor yeah. design and see what what subtle differences they've got and, and test a few, few new things i'm sure there'll be some some small tweaks that we'll see around the floor area and in the first race and, and stuff so it'd be interesting to see who can react quickest to that but it's a difficult one because um because the, the cars are so new and the regulations are so new you can get carried away and bolt on mm. lots and lots of updates but you haven't learned the original what what's happening with the original package so yeah. it's it's a difficult situation to 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 manage really because in previous years the regulations have you know changed a little bit every year they make subtle changes but generally the cars are carry over and you continue to develop and you know you've got a lot of learning from previous years mm-hmm. um and so when you bolt on an upgrade package you kind of you have good correlation already with the wind tunnel and with cfd and mm-hmm. you know you know more or less how it's going to react on track we've got so much learning to do with these new cars all the teams have that <laughs> if you go and bolt on a whole new upgrade package i'm sure you'll learn lots but you you haven't necessarily optimized the, the previous package yeah, so you're starting from you scratch could, again maybe yeah you could probably get lost you know completely lost in mm. in the data and in the numbers and, and maybe sort of go down the wrong avenue because you know on first running on the track you think oh well that that's doing this around high speed corners or on corner entry it's improved this but completely messes up you know on corner exit or at slow speed corners or something so obviously you're working with ferrari um now i've spoken to a lot of f1 fans uh and i think pretty much all of us including myself and jake have all agreed Mm. looks wise ferrari is the best looking car on the grid it looks sensational i'll send (laughs) Um, the payment over later (laughs) (laughs) sounds good sounds good um now looking uh there's been some shots between your car and the mercedes car your car is a little bit more longer uh you got a longer sort of uh, wheelbase compared to them uh you got a much bigger front wing area as well and not obviously uh taken away but you guys got a detachable front wing portion uh which isn't part of the crash test uh which is the the tip and the wings um looking wise like you you guys don't have to crash test that uh is is that the main sort of area you you guys look for developing this season uh, to try and get the most sort of time on the track? Well, the the front of the car, they they cleaned up a lot of the regulations um, from previous years. So in in previous years, the sort of from the front of the chassis forward, there was a lot of um, teams were running with like these really intricate cape designs, um, slots and winglets and holes and, and ducting and everything. That's all been removed in the regulations. So the the sort of the rearward part of the nose is almost identical car to car mm. now. So there's no real development that's going to happen there. But obviously, the biggest visual difference is the the tip of the nose going into the front wing. Now, obviously, in in for year, many many years we've had pillars coming down from the nose box mm. onto the wing. Now the kind of the nose and the the, the wing are blended into one, uh, which is obviously part of the new regulations um, and every team has sort of approached that slightly differently. Um, some teams have connected the nose to the first front wing element. Others have connected it to the second element and they have the kind of the first element of the no, of the wing sort of floating. Um, there's obviously big structural implications with that. And as you say, with crash testing and stuff, um, I think the actual crash structure, the nose crash structure is quite simple for most of the teams. Um, so it's generally throughout the years, it's been a, an item that teams don't want to, to crash again. It's quite an expense. You know, um, I remember back in, in the days of um, Red Bull, they would, some years they would crash maybe like 15 different designs before they got one to pass. Or even if they got one to pass, they would continue to, wow. to develop, to try and take weight out, to, to, to make it smaller section, you mm-hmm. know, aerodynamically better. Um, and you can spend a lot of money and in the past that wasn't a problem but obviously at the cost cap now that's something that you want to try and avoid so the nose was a one of my projects I worked on this year I have done for a few years now at Ferrari so I can't give too much away obviously <laughs> I know. But, uh, um, the the chassis the rear rear crash structure of the car that's attached to the gearbox these things the rules obviously now are completely different but they are kind of set out a bit earlier than maybe some of the bodywork regulations, let's say, because as a program, it takes a bit longer. You've got a design development 
and, and test mm, mm. these items. So the process starts a bit earlier in the year. So we try to crack on with that project as, as quickly as possible. A lot of the teams are doing the same. You know, the, the teams tend to use the same testing facilities, the crash test facilities, because you don't have these facilities in, in the factory. You have to go to specialist testing facilities. So a lot of the time you'll, you know, the, the, the teams in the UK will be like, right, we want to book a test for this day. And then the, the test center comes back and says, well, actually, um, someone else has, has booked that day. Oh, right. and you go, oh, who would that be? And then you can basically work <laughs> out who it is and you, you kind of get an idea of everyone's program or what everyone's doing. Yeah, so you yeah. kind of know when people are. It's like a mini, mini war going on in, in, inside. Yeah, yeah it's, it's trying to get in there early and, you know, I mean, you don't want to be too early because then you, you run out, you know, you're, mm. you're essentially freezing your development time. Everything on the design side is all, you know, time is our biggest asset, really. You want to delay the the release of the aerodynamic services as late as possible to then do the design and then manufacture as quickly as possible uh, to get it on just in time for, for the first test to try and give your aerodynamics the longest time possible to develop to put it in the wind tunnel to go through cfd to come up with different iterations and, and find performance but with something like a crash test you know that in the program you've got several months of having to to crash uh, nose boxes and, mm, and mm. structures and obviously once it's smashed into a wall you're not using it again yeah. so it then takes a while to, to to build another version and you know with something like that if you're crashing something into a wall and then and then looking at the data you you know you can start maybe manufacturing the next one before you crash the first mm. one but mm. you're having to learn and adapt from the results of the of the crash test so it's not like you can build five or six of these these components yeah, yeah. in one go and then and then just line them up week after week you you know because you're not using the learning from the first crash test so mm. it's it's always a really tricky program to manage um and this year's been no different teams won't want to necessarily you know have to do two or three different crash programs throughout the year to, to develop the yeah. nose so it's you know you want to be clever with the design and and you know have um parts that can be bolted on whether they're fairings whether they're, they're bigger structural elements um mm. but obviously with the, the way the nose and the, the front wing merge together i think teams will be looking at developing that kind of interaction and and mm. using mm. different different bond on items different fairings and stuff so it'll be interesting yeah. to see how they develop through the year and whether one team's idea kind of becomes the the go-to design the holy grail um, yeah <laughs> yeah which which is obviously what usually happens with with regulations in formula one is that you know yeah. one design tends to win out over the others well um, we haven't we haven't even sort of got to the period yet where you know we got to the first race and you take the whole double diffuser sort of saga from the Braun days and when they sort of turned up for the the new era um we could see these designs being questioned and you know um reprimanded and there could be yeah still lots of measures like that to come down the road um but before we move on to other car designs um we've we're just the last point on ferrari that is the most striking and what has caught everyone's attention are these valley side pods or lots of people have been putting images ultra of sculpted o yeah, yeah ultra sculpted lots <laughs> of people have been putting like images of people having a bath in it or o rouge, o -Rouge going up the, yeah and i saw down the o rouge one that was that was absolutely <laughs> fantastic whoever did that is a is a is a genius because they got it right at the right angle and it was yeah, yeah. perfect Te just yeah. tell us about the again you can't give too much away but just tell us about <laughs> the sort of the basic general philosophy of doing side pods like that, which no one else has gone for at all. It's, it's million miles away from what other people have thought mm. of. Well, I think the only other team that have, have gone maybe a similar approach in terms of what a wider, um, mm. side pod, uh, the Aston Martin has a similar approach. They've gone sort of high and wide side pods and obviously they've got loads of cooling gills in mm. the top. Mm. Um, and there is a that's the side pods is one area where there has been a lot of difference between the teams, which is which has been cool. Um, and I think you sort of there's several philosophies and ideas that obviously all the teams have looked at, and you know all the teams have have probably done the same thing where they've looked at four, five, six different uh, design ideas throughout the last twelve months. Some have been you know shelved, and and others have taken over. So. You know, even at Ferrari, there were there were designs that you you looked at ages ago, and you've gone, okay, well, we can go this way, we can go that way, and and you obviously you weigh it up, and 
it's never there's never it's very rare that there's a silver bullet where you go well if we bolt that on the car will be that'll be it it'll be a winner everything has to work in conjunction so everything we've done around that area will work with the rear of the car and work the floor and work with the the rear wing and obviously the rear wing now has got a beam wing added back into it Mm -hmm. um so the way the back end of the car works with that is really important so all these things come into play and and the sort of the executive design group you know the, the the chief designers and technical directors that's their job to oversee all of these different areas within the design uh, office and an aerodynamics office and make sure that we get the best overall package so those side pods for example will work as a as an entire package mm. but cooling has always been a, a big thing in in recent years especially since the introduction of the hybrid engines and you can see the the difference between the teams the ones that have gone with maybe the bigger side pods with the cooling gills directly on top that's that's their big they've got big inlets they've got big outlets on top of the side pods and that's basically where the majority of the cooling is being done mm. whereas someone like mclaren for example we look at theirs they've got very small side pod inlets and very small sculpted side pods with very few cooling exits on the top and quite low and as well at, and quite narrow yeah really narrow really quite low very very sculpted which is what we'd sort of seen in previous years people were going for the well, they always used to call it McLaren size zero. It was the kind of the philosophy of <laughs> shrinking everything in as much as possible, which when we had the Honda engine was a mm. tricky scenario to, to work with because Honda <laughs> wanted everything bigger, you know, more cooling, everything. And obviously the aerodynamicists want everything tucked in. But those teams that have gone with that approach, like McLaren, you then look at the rear of the car and you look at the bodywork at the back in front of the rear wing. And McLaren got really wide, really big opening at the back to draw that hot air out. So they'll have to design a lot of shrouding, a lot of uh, protective panels across a lot of the internals of the car. Mm. And so basically they'll be drawing not as much air through the side pods, but you look at like their um, air intake on the top of the car, it's much bigger, much wider. Mm. So they'll be drawing more cooling air through that than the side pods. Whereas the teams that gone with bigger side pods, you look at their roll hoop, and the inlet is very, very Tiny. skinny. So that yeah. allows different airflow over the top of the car, down the top of the, the engine cover, and again, to the rear wing. So there's, there's you know, thousands of ways to skin mm, a cat. Mm. You know, um, <laughs> there's so many different ways you can do it, and it's all got to work together as, as one package. So, yeah, some teams have gone for more, you know, to pour more, more cooling air in from the sides, and others have gone for more down the centre. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how all that works and you know the, the pre-season testing is all about cars running in different cooling configurations a lot of um, tape and panels being used to block up cooling exits and run in different cooling configurations which i must say the happening. ferrari i can remember in previous seasons seemed to perform better in warmer weather compared to mm. its competitors particularly mercedes yes yeah and it will be down to tire management as well mm. um in those conditions you know with higher track temperatures and you know it can be your suspension setup the dynamics of the car how it rides and how aggressive it is on on the corners of the car as well um and you know we've seen lots of i mean i think i think the regulations changed a little bit for testing i don't know if it was this year particularly or maybe last year but there's a lot more of these um spy shots coming out this year mm -hmm. i think the teams aren't allowed to run with sort of completely closed garages which again is great for the fans they can see more sort of <laughs> not for you though cars <laughs> well it's great because you know we've never had these kind of level of details of photos in pre-season testing that's true so yeah, that's i spent true. ages the other day looking at the red bull front brake discs <laughs> and brake ducts you know which are really interesting but i've never been able to see that kind of level of detail mm. um from pre-season testing before so that's been really handy because they're doing some cool some cool things on the front corners so that's i've had a one of the reasons i've had a busy this year this year is because i've moved over temporarily to the mechanical design group to as a as a someone with specialist composites knowledge to help them with the front corners with the brake ducts um in particular which is like a the last time i did brake ducts was eight or nine years ago at caterham um <laughs> it's got they got a lot more complicated since then but it's mm. it's a crazy area of the car because you've you've got heat and vibration and you know the, the discs get to crazy temperatures eight nine hundred thousand degree temperature mm. and you're trying to then cool them but you're also trying to extract performance you've got um especially at the front you've got the suspension that connects into the corner 
it's moving with all the the suspension movement but also you've got the steering angle as well so you get these huge suspension sweeps inside mm -hmm. the corner and you're also trying to pack in all the cooling ducts they're kind of like mini laboratories on wheels now as well you've got all these <laughs> sensors and electrical sensors and and pressure taps for mm. aerodynamic performance and you're trying to package all this inside what is a very small space but yeah looking at the other teams and being able to get spy shots of uh, what they've done on their front brake ducts has been quite interesting and comparing it with what we've done and stuff. So yeah, it's mm -hmm. been good to have that sort of extra access this year. And uh, obviously all the teams get lots of photos sent into them from mm. trackside photographers and stuff, which is always good to have a snoop around. So obviously mentioned a little bit about suspension. Um, obviously we've noticed on Mercedes, they've gone for the more conventional pushrod system. Um, but we've seen other cars like the, the Red Bull and McLaren in particular, they've gone for a pull rod. Is there any sort of major or, or sort of big things that can happen having either sort of system on the car or is it just one thing does one, one does another? Um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely there's pros and cons to, to both systems which is why you see quite you know a split between teams this year um it's the first time for a while actually that that teams have gone in different directions i think with the new regulations the front of the chassis its height has changed a little bit um and so teams are sort of maybe being on the fence with or which which system do we do we go with but you know the the weight and the center of gravity of the car these days is really, really important. So if you can go with a, a pull rod suspension at the front, for example, you can lower um, the inboard suspension, all the dampers, the springs, um, you can lower that down and reduce the center of gravity um, at the front of the car, um, which is of, of benefit. Um, but it depends on how you can package it within the um, front of the chassis. So obviously in that area, you usually have all of your pedals um, and your whole pedal system and some of the steering system as well. Um, so it depends on how you can package it, how you can get that to work um, and how you can integrate it into the, the front end of the chassis with the steering rack and everything else. Um, the Red Bull is, is really interesting because they've, they've gone with the pull rod at the front, mm. um, but then also there, we were having a look at it actually the other day, um, just, just as out of you know amazement with with how they've done it, but um, it's been a while since we've seen what they call a multi-link suspension on the front. Mm -hmm. So rather than the traditional sort of the wishbone, they've split the points at which they join to the chassis. So at the front it's quite standard, but then the rear leg is really really low. Okay. The point at which it connects to the chassis, and so you have a very crooked. If it was done in one piece, you'd have a very bent crooked wishbone, mm. which. You know, if you're trying to use the carbon to the best of its ability, putting such a big kink and trying to keep it in one piece is is not the best way of doing it. So, um, I think what they've I think what they've done is that the the joint on the outboard side that joins to the corner to the, mm. the wheel will be split, and there'll be two separate elements. Hence, why it's called multi-link. Mm. Um, and I think from the shots that I've seen of the front of the chassis with some of the covers removed the front leg of the top wishbone is actually joined in the middle. So it's one piece. The front leg is one piece that joins from left to right, which is something they've done previously with lower wishbones or at the rear of the car. Um, but it's a really interesting sort of take on, on the design concept, but a is lot actually, of the, that, do you think that's trying, they're trying to make the car more agile, more nimble in terms of a handling perspective with that particular design? It, it will have it will have different uh, dynamics on the front of the car for sure. It will it will change the dynamics and the the way it works. Um, it has knock on effects and implications for how the the car dives or squats mm. under braking um, and how it you know how it handles and how it you you know turns into corners and stuff. So obviously that's something that you can uh, quite accurately model way before you start to to build these components. So they'll have a load of vehicle dynamicists that are looking at um, different characteristics and you know plugging in a lot of numbers into spreadsheets and and <laughs> working out all these kind of things way before the the designers even get their hands on on these components. Um, but a lot of the time as well, the 
the suspension members, the wishbones are driven quite a lot by aero as well. Um, and I think this year, even more important because of the the way we want to generate the downforce, downforce sorry, through the floor, mm. you want the best kind of flow coming off of the the suspension members and allowing as clean a flow into into or as, as big a volume of flow, let's say, into the the front of the floor. So you know, by by moving that top wishbone and, and moving the rear leg down mm. it might be driving airflow down towards the floor better or you know obviously it's all stuff they've they've looked at in cfd and i'm i'm no aerodynamicist so <laughs> my understanding is is a lot more basic than a than an aerodynamicist for example but mm. um mm. yeah it's very interesting to see because it's a it's a big difference to what other teams have done but yeah there's there's so there's so many things to consider as i say you know the weight and the center of gravity of the car you know, the packaging, um, the aerodynamics, the vehicle dynamics, um, you know, the way it act, interacts with the with the tyres. Obviously, we know tyre performance is, is so important. Mm. And with the change of tyres as well. Um, yeah, to 18-inch Yeah, the teams have all had some running with the big 18-inch wheels. Um, and a lot of teams kind of developed hybrid cars um, last year to do a special test with Pirelli. Mm. Where they took a sort of two-year-old car and, and made some changes to the suspension to be able, and the, the corners to be able to run the bigger rims. So we've had some running and managed to get some learning, but obviously bolting them on the new car and the new regulations. Mm. That's a big thing in testing is trying to map as much as possible different uh all the different compounds, um, different cooling configurations as well in the in the brake ducts on the front and on the rear. Yeah, and there's been lots of rule changes on on inside of the wheels as well which has changed the way that the teams are able to heat the tires from the inside. So that's been a big thing in the last five, six years, mm. really the teams of uh, not only is it surface temperature, but also the, the core temperature of the tire through the carcass. So teams have been running really trick designs on their donuts and on their brake ducts to try and take heat from the brake disc and push it out into the, into the, into the rim, mm. into the tire and, and help manage that temperature and try and keep it in a, in you know in the perfect range and keep it mm. consistently in that perfect range um but you know the regulations have changed and essentially made it harder for teams to do that obviously we've got the wheel covers as well now mm. yeah so that stops teams from pushing uh hot air out of the rim um mm. which was a big aerodynamic benefit so it's kind of keeps keeping things encapsulated within the wheel a lot more now so you've got to be much clever with how you work that hot air inside of the wheel and then how you exit it out to keep it Obviously, keep everything cool. Mm. Um, Talking of the wheel part, there's all the standardised, um, <clears throat> not wheel guards, but they're kind of like little flicks above above the wheel now that seem to be on most cars. It's is that a stand? That's yeah, a standard the, part, isn't it? Yeah, the wheel arch is a is a standard mm. part. So the new regulations normally there's kind of like legality boxes where you go right. There's a set of regulations and it has to fit within these box. And the you know there's ten or so bullet points. You know, certain section areas that you're allowed and blah blah blah. This year was the first time in my my time in F1 where we've actually been given kind of a, almost a completely finished surface. And they say, well, this is the wheel arch that we want. And this is this is the position you have to run it in. And basically there's no there's no changing it. So you have to adapt the rest of your design around work around, around this component. Um so those parts of the car yeah, are, are identical um across every team. Um visually they look they look kind of cool you know mm. it sort of goes with the new the new look of the cars um wasn't you know a huge design challenge for for anyone because it was it was sort of given to us yeah um <laughs> but yeah that would be interesting to see how they were i know the the feedback initially from a lot of the drivers has been that the visibility is less mm. with the bigger tires and with these wheel arches they're not being able to see apexes of corners from their seating position as easily as they were in yeah, previous well, years visibility has been challenged you've they've had the halo to deal with they've got this now they've got bigger tires i mean yeah, yeah. soon soon they're gonna have to be like two meters above above the ground or something in their yeah. seat or something they could be like dr eggman like way above the clouds or something <laughs> <laughs> well i think they, they ran with 18 inch tires in um f2 last year and um i, I think i saw something on on one of the the um motorsport like news channels where um I think it was an interview with um, one of the F2 drivers. And he said, well, certain, certain tracks, like a, a lot of the street circuits, 
it's already difficult to see the apex mm. and stuff with the walls mm. and and how tight the track is but they were having to go around the certain circuits after maybe the first practice session and put cones on top of the barriers at certain <laughs> apexes because the drivers with the with the new tires just couldn't see mm. you know the, the new tire size and also the profiles changed as well they couldn't pick out certain apexes or breakable so they were having to go around and adapt tracks and put little cones out and and everything else so it'd be interesting to see whether that's something they'll have to adapt the track layout mm. or the you know the um the hoardings or the the barriers or something have to sort of put extra markers out that's um, it for monaco yeah i mean those, those kind of circuits where you're going the speed you're going at you don't want to be um not being able to pick out breaking markers or or, or apexes or you know, I mean, you see with those slow mos they're amazing at Monaco, where they, mm. you know, brush the tire wall is brushing um, the Armco barriers. Um, you know, if you can't pick that point out, <laughs> yeah, there could be some uh, Got no some chance. interesting uh, collisions and and uh, people clipping the barriers even more than they do at the moment. But um, mm. yeah, those wheel arches have been been something completely different. We've not had anything like that before. Obviously, being an open wheel formula that we are, but yeah a lot of those parts are sort of given to the teams and it's all part of the philosophy from, from FIA and from formula one to, to have the cars working in a certain way. Um, so it all helps with the management of the wake off of the front tires and stuff. And, you know, it's all sort of part of the bigger idea of, of closer racing. So Alpine, um, they're, you know, they've got very similar sort of philosophies to a lot of the teams but one thing that's new that was picked up by mercedes a few years ago is they've now got a split turbo um unit in, in their engine that's sort of like the biggest sort of characteristic we've noticed with alpine that's different to how they have been running previously i think they'd been maybe a little bit behind the the other teams with with switching to that philosophy mm. um but obviously they've i saw some some quotes from their their guys their management and stuff um, in the first test saying that we're we've made this change and we made some other changes and we're we're looking purely for performance and we're sort of almost willing to sacrifice a little bit of reliability um in order to, to get that top level performance from our package because i think they felt like maybe in in the last couple of years they've fallen a little bit behind some of the other engine manufacturers so yeah it's a philosophy that other teams have have gone with now for a, a few seasons I mean, it certainly helps with with packaging and being able to split them. You can get maybe the the engine block narrower. You can again reduce the height of some of the components, so you reduce the center of gravity. Mm. But obviously, when you when you make a big change like that to the systems of the engine, it comes with reliability concerns. It's something you've not run before. There's maybe extra piping, extra electronics that are required. You know, to to interact between the two items. And yeah, it was. <laughs> It's quite ironic because I I think I was watching the I was working and and had on in the background all the data from the the testing mm. and everything and then oh, we we saw the Fernando stop and you know yeah. <laughs> fire and smoke and stuff and it was I think literally ten minutes before that I'd seen the statement about we'll sacrifice reliability for speed and then ten <laughs> minutes later Fernando's uh, parked up at the side of the road and there's a lot of smoke coming out the back so um, but yeah it'd be interesting to see how that works out for him yeah. I hope for Fernando's sake, it's it's there's no there's no real issues. I mean that that poor guy's had enough of um, engine troubles. GP two, GP two. Yeah, that that flashed up in my memory as soon as I saw that. I was like, oh, no, not again. Um, I worked with him at McLaren. He's such a such a nice guy, and and I think he's possibly made some some bad calls in his career in terms of timing of moving to different teams and stuff. But he's had a lot of bad luck as well so uh, yeah i mean was it last year where he got uh, got on the podium that yeah, was so yeah that was great to see i mean i'm i'm a big fan of his and i really enjoyed working with him at, at mclaren and stuff um you know he's a he's a such a good driver i mean although he's only had two world titles i think you know with a bit of better luck and maybe a different team and different year like you know he could have he could have won yeah. a few more um that year but, where he almost won for ferrari you know that mm, i think against even the, even the guys at ferrari said where that year the car was not as as good as it could have been it wasn't where it should have been um but he dragged that car to mm. within the last lap of the last race you know i think it was where he was stuck behind petrov wasn't it in the yeah. lotus in abu dhabi mm. the whole race and if he'd just got past him he would have won the title so he was he was very very close that year 
coming back onto the the car designs, I think the other the the one other sort of significant kind of point I want to pick up on is that the new formula is kind of done away now with with barge boards, and that they're kind mm. of going to be a thing of the past. But we're seeing, I'm seeing a, a few. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> I'm so, so happy about that. <laughs> I bet that. Well, you say that. How how difficult were they to to incorporate? I mean, we we wouldn't have an idea of kind of the they challenges just, that they're posing you. They're clearly they quite, were just an quite aerodynamicist a, quite a wet dream. They, oh, right. <laughs> the stuff they came out with was just <laughs> just mind-boggling because there was there was quite a bit of uh, openness, I think, in that area for, for the last couple of years. And I mean, you saw some of the designs; they were they were crazy. There were so mm-hmm. many flicks and tricks, and you know, serrated edges and yeah. and winglets. And uh, it was whenever there was like an upgrade and stuff. I can remember it's been like that for the last sort of five six years so at ferrari and also at mclaren uh, when i was there they would they would come out of an upgrade package for a certain race and they would say right we're, we're you know we're going to add these parts on and it it was almost like rather than just sort of one designer going right okay I'll, I'll look at it and i'll you know it was like we want it for the next race or for a couple of races time we've got maybe two or three weeks to to do all the design work it was the parts were so complicated that you would have to use five or six people, you know, mm. and it was like a proper group effort, you know, and there was tools being designed and, and inserts and, and different parts. And it was like, it had to be such a group effort because although it was sort of one barge board, it was 20 different pieces, you know, that were all sort of subtly bonded together and held together with these tiny, ridiculous aerodynamic profiled stays and mm. you know and you know there there was molded carbon parts there was rapid printed metallic parts there was you know and then and then you'd be like right we've just got a head around it and then an aerodynamic <laughs> would come over and go well we just want to change that we just want to <clears throat> know that there. <laughs> like, oh god and then and then someone would say oh it'd be really useful if we could like add a load of um what they call pressure tap points mm-hmm. so they actually have sensors within the 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 components on the car that that will be able to measure pressure at certain points on the surface. And obviously these can't, you know, these aren't wireless components. They've yeah, got to be yeah, yeah. connected back to the main, the main uh, tub of the car. So not only have you got all the difficulties of design and the parts, you've then got to try and channel and route all these pressure tap points within the component. And obviously it can't just be mounted on the surface because that would affect the, the aerodynamic performance of the parts. It's all stuff mm. that's got to be made within side of the part. So it's got to be laminated inside or it's got to be, 3d printed or or whatever approach mm. you go to so they were just they were becoming more and more elaborate every every yeah. season those areas of the car so now they've been removed in obviously in favor of the new floor the reason i bring it up is because we're kind of seeing almost now mini barge boards being implemented into the floor near near where the wheels are because there's like these sort of bits that are kind of poking out a little bit to try and direct mm. the airflow back on to, to the rear of the car in, in, in the best way possible particularly on the mercedes we've seen seen that a little bit but on a couple of other cars as well is that an area you think is going to be kind of uh scrutinized and worked on along with others on the car this year you wouldn't call them bars yeah, but they're so, kind of yeah. similar philosophies it's, yeah so the, the front of the floor you can have the teams of have, have quite quite a variation in terms of how big that opening is and how much they've maximized so there's essentially like a maximum height or a maximum volume for the opening some teams have, have gone to the full max and other teams have have gone a bit lower but those those kind of what sort of look like barges on the side there's i don't know if it's three or four there's kind of um big strakes that you're allowed to run mm, at the front mm. which help to, to channel that flow mm. and i think the outside one there's a kind of a, a maximum area that you can use and some of the teams have, have utilized that fully and so you see these much bigger, pronounced kind of uh, barge ball type type devices, and other teams have decided to scale them back and have more intricate designs. Um, so there's there's room there to develop. So I'm sure as the teams learn more about the the cars and how the floors are working, mm-hmm. you'll start to see developments in that area. And if the yeah, all the teams are, have got the best people there anyway. Um, they're all very very clever designers and engineers. So you try and design these components on the car to be sort of what we term as modular. So rather than designing it all as one big piece, you try and split the parts up and have bonded joggles and bonded parts so that you can quickly and easily throughout the season change Mm. components. Is there anything you've noticed on any other cars that 
after the first test, you're like, I wish we could have maybe tried that or thought of that. Is there anything you sort of picked up on that you'd like like to try on the cars? There was there was lots of stuff. I won't say exactly what, but there was lots of <laughs> lots of bits on other cars that we had investigated and decided not to do, which right. is interesting. Mm. Um, and you know, we'd gone down different design routes. Um, so there was things I saw on other cars and go, ah, oh, I recognize that. I remember <laughs> I remember looking at that on this, or I remember, you know, I remember I my remember predictions came true. Yeah, I remember our nemesis having a look at that. And you know, it's not to say that oh well, we decided not to do it because it was worse. Again, it's working with the whole package. Mm. Yeah. Um, there were so many different ways you could approach it and different avenues you could go down. So there were bits on other cars that you say, okay, well, yeah, we that's interesting because we did we did look at that and consider that for a you know three four months ago and then we we went with something else yeah there's, there's so much i mean i'm with, i'm still looking through even now like what other teams are doing there's so many areas to to look at but in terms of like the areas that i'm working obviously that i've got a better knowledge of there's definitely been some some interesting stuff the red bull um front corners of mm-hmm. quite a different concept my initial reaction was well they're not going to be able to necessarily put heat from the dip brake disc into the rim to, mm-hmm. to heat the tire from the inside which is something they've done in in the past and every team's done in the past. So obviously around Barcelona with the conditions they were, you know, maybe they didn't, didn't feel the need to, or maybe it's just one option and I've not seen, maybe they, you know, there's not photos available of all the other options. Cause I think a lot of teams are running with, you know, multiple multitude of, of options mm-hmm. um, for cooling. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see what they turn up with at the first race and see whether that is just their only option or whether they've got, you know, three yeah, or yeah. four different cooling configurations. But um yeah, there's I mean, we could be here all day going yeah, through yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> all the different things. But there there's been some yeah, it's it's been really good to see different uh, you know, such a variety. I think there was a fear amongst some people that all the cars would look identical. Yeah. Um, well, because of what they've seen with the launch events, maybe at Silverstone mm. and and all of that, and that lots of parts were more standardised than in previous times. But yeah, as you say, it's been quite different. Um, yeah, we- I mean the launch the launches got off to a bit of a full start because Haas Haas was essentially just a livery launch, and then Red Bull <laughs> did a, again another livery launch on on basically just a test. Yeah, and a completely know, different car, car at the test. Yeah, which, so that which was admitted literally to. just. We're launching the livery, and it's mm. it's basically just been painted onto the the F1 show car, essentially. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the first two launches were sort of non-launches. Yeah. Um, Doesn't help that the Haas changed their livery as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it looked really good in just all white at the um. Yeah, yeah. At the, at the, the 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 on the last day of the the first test. Well, a final point. Whilst John Haas, the kind of final three teams we haven't touched on too much. Let's look at Haas, Alfa Romeo, and and Williams. Let's start with. Uh, we'll just go through their sort of main points quickly. Um, mm. Haas have got quite a, a V-shaped bodywork towards the rear of the car. Um, and Alfa Romeo seem to have gone with a kind of nice sleek design as well. Williams have particularly quite a high wing compared to maybe some other teams. Um, out of those three, what, what's kind of catching catching your eye amongst those three teams? I, I, like, the, I like the Haas. I think it looks... Um... They've had a, a lot more time, I think, the, to, to develop, and it definitely looks like one of the most developed cars, if that's the right term to use, in terms mm. of they've got lots of little details. Um, I don't know if you've seen the back of their engine cover. They've got everyone sort of running with this little spine down the engine mm-hmm. cover from the regulations, mm. but theirs is kind of floating, and they've got these cooling ducts running down the spine of the engine cover for extra cooling through the center of the car mm-hmm. off of the, you know, the engine and, and the, the transmission and stuff. So that's quite a neat, neat little detail that I saw and I really liked. But generally, yeah, they've got some some nice detailing on their car, which is not something we saw last year because last year's car was basically just completely carryover from the year before, yeah. and they did no real development. But it's a team that's going through a lot of changes um, in terms of its personnel and its setup and stuff. So it was good to see their car being very developed. They had a lot of wind tunnel and um, CFD time compared to the other teams because of the, the new structure in the regulations. Yeah. I think based on was it 2020 performances, they then ranked every team and then sort of reversed the order and said, right, the teams that are at the back get the most wind yeah. tunnel and most mm-hmm. CFD time. So mm-hmm. Haas had the most out of everyone. And it's good to see they've, they've used that. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously it's still a fairly small team, but 
their car looks looks really nice and developed. Um, we saw the Alpha actually running around Fiorano in their camo mm, livery yeah. um, a couple of days before the the first test started. Yeah, so you couldn't see any intricate design of what they'd done. Yeah, it was like it was. I just heard a noise and I couldn't. It was just four wheels running around. It was completely camouflaged. Um, that was cool seeing it up close. We um, we were coming back from a coffee break at lunch actually and heard heard the car and was like, oh, it must be the Alpha. So we we ran around that and managed to catch it going around for a few laps, which was cool to see. Um, yeah, that, there's looks uh looks very nice I, I like the um they've always had a very different design philosophy on the front wing they've always had really aggressive the last couple of years the um the flap and the main plane comes where it comes to the end plate mm. comes down it's really aggressively sort of um like a moustache scallop. yeah yeah it's really yeah kind of really <laughs> comes down aggressively and gives you that sort of yeah moustache tip at the end yeah. um and i think they've they've got something quite similar this year yeah, and then the Williams, I was yeah, was really like the Williams actually. Um, really, really tiny side pods, mm, mm. Um, really aggressively sloped down behind. Um, they seem to package detail. the rear of the car like really narrow at the rear of the car compared to other designs. Mm. Yeah, I need to I I need to have a look at actually some shots at the back because I assume like the McLaren maybe with the with the really tight packaging around the side pods mm. and stuff they've probably got a bigger exit maybe that flares out at mm. the back but I saw some interesting photos of theirs where they had these quite large openings on the back of the side pod that was sort of like a through through flow that wasn't necessarily ducting for the radiators so I guess they're 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 pulling some air through the side pod from the front and then pushing it straight back through the side pod and out and over the top of the Mm-hmm. bodywork surface down onto the floor but their their side pod shape from the side profile is very aggressively mm. tapered down towards the floor so it's quite clear where they're trying to drive all their airflow down to that diffuser mm. um obviously the floors are are king this year and, and trying to keep them sealed but you know you kind of want the floors to be i think to be as as stable as possible mm-hmm. um and as consistent as possible We've got a few minutes left. I think you've mentioned the the wind tunnel time is is probably going to be a really important factor. One of the sort of the behind the scenes regulations that are going to be really important, sort of away from the car itself uh, in terms of development time. You say that Haas have had obviously that benefit going into this season. What do you think is going to be the biggest development race this year in terms of what parts of the car? What do you think at this stage you kind of seen all the other cars and particularly in, in your design? philosophy what is going to be maybe the biggest part of the car that's going to affect the biggest change so in previous years of course like the diffuser area in the v8 era is it going to be something like that do you think i i would i would guess yeah the floor is going to be the is going to be the big one um because of the the philosophy change and in, in the regulations so i imagine a lot of work is going to be around the floor but probably around the, the edges of the floor as well um with how you conceal that around the rear tire and and um in previous, you know, back in the the eighties, the cars would run with what they called skirts mm, that, mm-hmm. that physically sealed the floor mm. from the outside. That's not allowed in the regulations, but you can kind of, with clever aerodynamics nowadays, you can uh, sort of virtually seal the floor by using certain flow structures and and kind of um, vortices and stuff that come mm. off the edge of the floor, mm. and it keeps that airflow inside and it seals the floor perfectly. So that in previous years has been an area that's always developed race to race. So I think that that won't change. That will be a big thing this year, possibly at the rear of the car. Maybe the fact that we've now got beam wings have come back. I would think maybe that would be an area maybe that the teams look to, to work on because it's reintroduced it's new. So I'd imagine we see a lot of, a lot of changes there. Probably not so much on the, the front and rear wings that we've seen in previous years because they're no longer as, important aerodynamically as they have been for, for pure downfalls but if a team decides to change its philosophy slightly its aerodynamic philosophy then obviously the front wing is the first thing that hits hits the airflow so it's the start of the the change in the in the flow structures so yeah you know if a, a team might change an end plate or a, a front wing design slightly mm-hmm. not necessarily to get performance from that component but but further downstream maybe you have a final question, Chris? So I do. So Ryan, obviously last time you came on, you had you had a little bit of a vendetta with me and Jake about how we <laughs> predicted Ferrari doing. So 
instead of us predicting how Ferrari are going to be, oh. where do you think Ferrari are going to be in the constructors for this year? And if you don't think Ferrari are going to win, because we don't know what's going to go on, who at the minute would you say is looking the most likely to be the team in front? It's so hard to say at this early stage. First test was really positive for us, really positive. Uh, we've got really good mileage. Times look good, but obviously you can't read too much into the times. You don't know what what run plans people are on and what they're testing. But it was it was very very positive. So I, I, I'd like to think we'll be be up there. That's certainly the you know the the hope and the the aim. I think Red Bull are going to be strong. Their car looks looks really good. Merck, of course, will be up there. You know that I think that, that goes without saying that those two teams will be up there anyway. Mm. McLaren looks looks strong. Look like they've taken a, a good step. So I think between those four, us and, and McLaren, Mercedes, mm. and, and Red Bull, uh, my my prediction would be that possibly uh, that in terms of the constructors' champion, I think it won't be Mercedes. I think someone else will get it this year. That would be my slightly out there prediction. I guess caveat, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I think someone else might get it because I think I think those, those top teams are of you know with the new regulation stuff will be a bit bit closer together. Um, mm. So it will be interesting to see. I think the over the, the years, the engines have got closer and closer together. So maybe that advantage that Mercedes had in the past yeah, it's has, has disappeared a bit. Mm. And so with such a big rule change on the chassis side, that gives teams a, a, other teams an opportunity to to close the gap and, and even surpass Mercedes. Yeah. And, and obviously with Red Bull, with having Adrian Newey and, and yeah. the guys they've got there, the last time there was a big chassis rule change, they they absolutely nailed it. So I wouldn't yeah. Yeah, be surprised to see them. But so far it's been from our side, it's been really, really positive. We were really happy with with how the first test went. Yeah. And we'll just see, you know, if, if Mercedes do turn up with a a, a B spec car, we'll have to see we'll have to see how, how that, <laughs> how approach that. is. But yeah. uh there's there's so much learning to be done from first test and, and from yeah. the new cars that it's it's gonna be who gets on top of their car. Yeah, quickest yeah. and who learns the most about it and, and who can develop it and gain performance just from setting up the car correctly really well it's been ever so intriguing as i thought it would be to have you on the podcast uh ryan greenslade from marinello working for ferrari thank you so much for your insight and expertise and best of luck for the season ahead i'm sure it's going to be a busy one and and one that's not going to quieten down anytime soon thanks a lot thank you very much for having me So it was great to have Ryan back on the podcast. Thank you for giving us the lowdown on what is going on with all the cars this year. Yeah, really interesting to see that it will be a four-horse race, he thinks, Chris, and and kind of the main team still dominated. But you never know. He didn't really seem to think that there could be a, a, a dark horse team, maybe like McLaren or Alpine or Aston Martin, even Haas with all that development time that might be able to come up through through the ranks and, and make a little surprise. Do you think before we finish, we're going to see something like that personally um, yourself? I mean, knowing, knowing you, you'd probably say Haas are going to be second in the constructors. <laughs> um, well, I like the underdog. Anything can happen. I mean, last season, you know, we saw McLaren win. We saw Ferrari get many podiums. We saw Alpine get many podiums. I mean, you know, I think the only two two teams that didn't get a podium was one of them. I said, oh, they might get a podium, which was Alfa Romeo yeah. and, um, and and obviously Haas. Um, so I think hopefully with, you know, whole new closer racing, we get closer racing. We, we get a bit more of a variety of people on the podium and, and not the same old Hanver Ross. Hanver bot or Hanver. Yeah. It'll be Hanver Ross this, this season, it'll be, possibly. Hanver Ross. Um, <laughs> But it would be nice to see Bottas up on the podium in, in his new car. Um, but, you know, it, anything's, anything can happen. And, you know, with, with the lowdown that Ryan just said, literally anything can happen. Like Even, you know, the big teams are looking at the, the smaller teams as to what they're doing with their designs. Mm. Yeah, it's very interesting to see that all the, all the spy cams are coming back to all the teams and they're looking in detail at every single aspect. And and Ryan just working on one tiny part of the car with the brake ducts, particularly at this moment in time. So it's going to be really intriguing and interesting to see how that development race, as I'm sure will play out like it does every season across 2022. We'll be back soon with our next episode, of course, looking at an already changed season for Formula One with what's happened in the past couple of weeks uh, on and off the grid. But we'll be taking a look at team 
teams and the drivers after testing and give you our predictions for 2022 how they're probably going to fare don't forget you can keep an eye out for any new episodes on our social media by searching around the outside you can also listen back to our previous conversations whenever you want wherever you get your podcast well, it's been me jake peach and me chris moss we'll see you next time here on around the outside take care mm-hmm.